we are going to be talking about how to church. Um, this series is going to help us go into a deeper understanding of what the church is meant to be and how it's meant to behave. There's a Greek word that's used dozens of times in the New Testament. As the writers were writing, they use this word ekklesia. Okay, I don't expect you to be able to spell that. There's no test at the end of this, okay? But they use the word ecclesia, and really what that really means is those who are called out, those who are separate from the rest. And God starts way back in Genesis talking to those who he wants to have as his people that he says, I'm going to call you out from where you are. I want you to be together, and this is how I want you to behave. Well, the Jewish people started that format way back then. And God gives us in his word, he tells us, you know what? I'm never going to be confined to a house. He's not going to be here in these four walls. He wants to be in a fleshly house, in the house made of flesh that he created, which is you and I. So he says all throughout his word, I think more than 60 times is what I read, that he says, I will be their God and they will be my people. And sometimes we get it wrong when we come to church. We, we've come to church sometimes for the wrong reasons. Maybe you've been hurt by somebody in the church. We're going to talk about all that stuff, but really we're going to talk about what the Bible says that we should be as the church and the body of Christ. So the church is noted in scripture as the body of Christ. It's also referred to as a bride that's going to be wedded to her husband, Jesus Christ. There are a bunch of different word pictures that are given throughout scripture, but today I wanna break down the idea of us being the called out ones, those who have been called out, and we've been given a mandate from God to do something. He's given us a directive in this life and in this world. Sometimes we struggle to student, is that right? (laughs) Sometimes we struggle to adult to parent, to husband, to wife, fill in the blank, whatever it is. And I know that there are countless churches in the kingdom of God where people struggle to church. And so we need to know how to church. We're going to look at God's word, but I want to stop for just a moment and I want to communicate something from my heart. I really felt the sense of the Holy Spirit as I started to prepare this message that that he would want me to say something to you. I'm trying to listen to his voice. So I want to ask you today, before I, before I ask you this question, I'm going to ask you two questions, I guess. The first question is, can you be transparent and vulnerable in church? If you can, raise your hand. Yes, you should, okay? We should all be comfortable to do that. Sometimes we don't want to do that. But I want to ask you this question, now that you've acknowledged that. How many of you would say that you've been hurt by someone who called themselves a Christian or by the church before. Raise your hand. Keep it up. Look around. You're not alone. And that was never God's intention. It was never his desire. It doesn't make it okay, but I'm telling you by the Holy Spirit's power and his strength that the hands that we raise today break God's heart. He hates that we don't do it like we're supposed to do it. He hates when there's hurt that happens in the world. He hates it even more when it happens in his body. And so I raise my hand too, because I've been hurt by the church. I'm a pastor's kid. I saw my parents get hurt by the church. I've seen other people be hurt. I've counseled with people who've been hurt by the church. It's a very meaningful thing for me to have the opportunity to talk about 
what we should look like according to scripture when it comes to that. So if we know that we're not alone and we know that the church is filled with broken and hurting people, those who need God, we realize that they're imperfect, right? So maybe someone betrayed your trust in the church before. I want you to think about that hurt. I know this seems weird and you're not on the psychologist's couch this morning necessarily, but I want you to think about that hurt today. The people who betrayed your trust, maybe someone gossiped about you, maybe even leaders in the church hurt you. I've had leaders in the church hurt me before I was a leader and now I am a leader. But you have to believe this. The truth of it is this. It was never God's doing or his intention for you to be hurt. I want you to absorb that in your heart today. Because as we launch into this new series and we talk about what the Bible actually says about how we should do church, we got to realize we've been living in something that might not be healthy or we've might endured, we might have endured something that was a tragedy. But I'm so thankful that he's a healer, that he's a restorer, that he redeems the junk that happens to us in all areas of our life. There's no facet of our life, our marriage, our friendships, whatever it is. He always wants to repair, restore, and redeem. I want you to think about this, though, as I give kind of a lead-in or a caveat before I actually give you my three points for the day. I really felt like I wanted to share something based on Matthew chapter 6. If you want to go there with me in your Bible, we don't have the the verses on the screen today. I'm going to give you some practice of looking it up yourself. Matthew chapter 6, and if you go to verse 12, you can use our Wi-Fi to do that and simply go on your Bible app. I love, can I just stop here and say this public service announcement? There are women and ladies in this church who are all together reading the Bible and challenging one another in the YouVersion app. That's awesome. Let's give them a round of applause. doing daily devotions and readings. It's a powerful thing because they're setting their appointment and they're keeping it. Amen. Matthew chapter six, verse 12. It's the context here is Jesus is giving the, the Lord's prayer or what we would call the model prayer that he prayed. And he says this in verse 12. He says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now don't think about your credit card company this morning. Okay. Well, we're thinking about, yeah, it would be really nice if you just got a phone call that said, hey, I'm forgiving all your student debt. I'm forgiving all the extra stuff you paid for. I'm forgiving that purchase at Wendy's. I'm just, it's all just washed. You've got excellent credit starting right now. It would be awesome. Well, that's exactly, yes, amen. That's exactly what God actually does in the human heart when he forgives us. He wipes out our liability I'm telling you, he wipes out your responsibility to pay him back. This is a good word for us this morning. Jump down to verse 14 and listen to what else he goes on to say. Jesus says this, For if you forgive others their trespasses, that means their wrongdoing, what they've done to hurt you, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. It's so easy to read that over and we'll just jump to the next place in scripture and go right ahead. But it's as simple as it can be, as clear as it can be. Let this sink in. Jesus is saying, if you withhold forgiveness from someone else, 
your heavenly father will actually withhold forgiveness from you. So I I plan on this series being a, a series that helps heal those who have been hurt by bad stuff that has happened in the church and know that it's not just one moment with one shot, one needle injection. It is a lifelong process that the Lord wants to lead us through in forgiveness. But we've got to understand that caution is to forgive those who harm or hurt us in order that God would forgive us. Because for us to forgive is so freeing. We really ought to try it more often. So if you're struggling in this area, let me say this, because we, we always want to give you how to, this is the name of the series, but we really want to give you practical steps. And this is what I want to tell you today. Forgiveness doesn't equal approval. Now, I trust that the Holy Spirit is using this word to minister to the hearts that are here. And you may have a hurt that doesn't even involve a church. But when we talk about forgiveness, you've got to listen to me. Forgiveness doesn't equal approval of the action, but it is needed and it's needed when it's not deserved. That's the whole point. It's not deserved. What they did is wrong. How they did hurt you, how they walked out, how they whatever is absolutely wrong. It was never God's intention for that to happen in the way that it did, but it's not worth it to hold on to it any longer. It's really not. So you can start the process of forgiveness today. And I think, and I've shared this with many other people before, I believe that prayer is the secret ingredient. I really believe that the pathway to freedom and to forgiveness, even when I'm trying to forgive someone else, is me having time with God to say, God, I'm really hurting. I am broken over this. I miss this person. I felt betrayed. I would like to get them back and see them hurt. But Lord, I need your help in this situation. And that's a real honest prayer. But God doesn't turn away honesty. He loves it. So we've got to understand we could even just stop and pray anytime there are two culprits. Okay, It's either the enemy of God who wants to get you sidetracked who wants you to keep remembering the hurt and keep remembering all that stuff, or it's your own self. And sometimes it's just us. We're cuckoo. Okay, I'm cuckoo. We're all a little bit crazy. My dad used to say that. We're all crazy, just some more than others. Okay? So having said that, though, sometimes we could blame it on the devil, but maybe it's our fault because we're in this cycle of, I just can't let it go. I just just can't. Every time I see that person, I just... And we do that kind of thing, and that's not healthy. So the, real, the big tip is this, to stop and pray. And it could sound like this. I, I wrote a prayer myself in my notes. Lord, I forgive blank. Fill in that person's name. And then say something along the lines of, help me to walk in forgiveness towards them. Help me to heal from the hurt that they caused me, which was not okay and not your will. I'm preaching to my own heart today. Do not allow them to continue hurting others. You can pray a prayer like that. You don't get off scot-free. If you cause damage in the kingdom of God, God's coming after you. That's, that's really, so I can pray a prayer, Lord, and I prayed it for board members in Hawaii. I still pray it to this day. Lord, I pray that they would straighten up or that you would change them or move them out. Don't let them hurt another soul. 
You can pray that prayer over those who have hurt you with honesty before God and say, Lord, don't allow them to continue that hurt to others. And then say, Lord, heal me and help me to keep walking in forgiveness. So you say, Pastor, we're talking about how to church and we're all about forgiveness in this first few moments. It's so important because your eternity depends on it. It's a lifelong process. I've said this to students. I've said this here in this church. When I see the same make and model vehicle of someone that hurt me, I had a tendency to get very angry before. And now every time I see that, I begin to pray for that person by name. I pray blessings now. I used to pray cursings. I pray, Lord, would you stop them from ever hurting anybody else again? I pray that prayer every time because it's significant. And here's what I do. I give Jesus the power to heal me when I do that. If I look and I get angry again, I can just drum up all the charges again, all over again, and get mad all over again, and stay hurt all over again, or I can walk in forgiveness. So we need Jesus, amen? Come on, we need Jesus, amen? So it's been said, <clears throat> this, is, this, is the, this is the grain of salt with all that sugar, it's been said that if you find a perfect church, don't join it, because you'll ruin it, Okay? <laughs> So I say that to say some of us in this room might actually have been the people who have betrayed someone else or gossiped against somebody else or brought harm. And Jesus loves his body. He, he loves the body of Christ. The Father loves his people so much. He doesn't want that hurt to go on. So I'm telling you today, that's the last thought about this forgiveness. If you're the person who has caused some sort of damage and you would know it, it's not something that you would have to try to investigate. You would know, then do everything in your power to make it right and do so. Even if they're dead and gone, I've said that to people before in counseling, even if they're gone, you can still forgive. You can still ask God to forgive you for the harm that you've done, whatever it may be. All right, so the Greek word that's used for church in the New Testament, it really means called out ones, those who are separate from the rest. Listen to what it says in Acts 11. I'll tell you when I want you to turn somewhere, but you can just take a note if you want to. A couple little verses I'm just gonna like popcorn throw out there. Acts 11:26 says this, Barnabas and Saul met with the church, Ecclesia, in Antioch. There was a city called Antioch and they met with them and they used that term there, the called out ones. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 9, Paul says that he is, he is asking for forgiveness really in this moment and he's owning up to the, to the fact, the reality was, was he was a hardened criminal that God set free, who persecuted the church. He dragged people out of their houses and took them to go get stoned and put at the stake. He was the guy who was persecuting the church. And he uses that phrase when he writes to the Corinthians. He says, I have persecuted the called out ones of God. I'm guilty of this. So here's number one. Point number one today is this. The church is not a club. It's an embassy. I want you to think about that because I know we don't talk about embassies all that much in our world. I, I know in recent years in history, we've heard about an embassy in a place called Benghazi, or we know that there are embassies in major cities where there's another government who has a house there and a property there and that sort of thing. But I want to explain that a little bit more fully today, that the church is not a club. It's not a country club. It's not a fitness club. It's not a social club. It's more than that. Amen. Um, 
In fact, we have members in this church. Just like other clubs might have members, we took in seven new members last week. When it comes to the church, though, here's the deal. There are no exclusions. If you've ever tried to use a coupon at Kohl's, okay, or anything like that, and it's got literally, it's got like 39 brand names on the back of it, and it says you cannot use it for this, 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 this. And so you're like, well, why didn't you just put save $5 on this one item, which is the only item in the store, right? They've got all these exclusions that apply. If you watch a car commercial, they're like, hey, come down to the lot today. We'll give you a car for $0, blah, blah, blah. And then this big screen rolls up with all these disclaimers of, but if you don't have an 800 credit score, if you don't have this, if you don't have that, you won't get a car because exclusions apply. They apply at a country club. If you don't have the money, if you don't have the looks, you can't be a member. They apply in social clubs of all sorts and sizes, shapes and sizes. They apply in gym memberships because you got to pay them, right, to keep going. I could have went somewhere with tithing and giving and whatever, but you got to, there's no exclusions that apply in the body of Christ. So I say that not as a blanket statement over sin, because we believe that life change happens when we're together. When we're studying his word like these women are doing by sharing devotionals together. When we're joining Celebrate Life in the journey and we're coming on Wednesday night. When we as a teenager are investing in our spiritual growth. That sort of stuff is the important stuff because it's leading us to a place of change. God loves you but he wants you to change. That was intense. I was thinking, my wife loves me, but she probably wants me to change. There are friends who love you, but they want you to change. So I say that to say this. We don't support the idea of sloppy grace that's haphazard to come and continue in your sin. In fact, you can ask people who have attended our church and are part of the family of believers here what I've dealt with with them on the sidelines, somewhere that you're not even aware of, and I have shared that same truth with them. I understand what you're dealing with, but I'm telling you it's not okay, and you need to, with God's grace, start fixing this in your life. That's what love does. I wouldn't say hate lets you go, but that's a really sloppy idea of what God's grace is for us to just say, come and continue in your sin. I love what the heart of God is demonstrated in the moment when a woman in the scripture is caught, the Bible says, in the act of adultery. She's dragged out before the city and Jesus says, go and sin no more. That's the power of authentic God-given love. And that ought to be demonstrated in our church. So when we talk about an embassy, though, uh, the church is not just an invention of Christians who are trying to fulfill needs like fellowship or teaching or whatever. It's more than that. The Bible seems to hold the local church as a unique organization unlike any other in the world. It is by Jesus' own royal prerogative, the embassy of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And if you've ever been to an embassy or if you understand what that is, it's a nerve center, okay? It's a headquarters for a country's diplomatic affairs. It's for them to do work to benefit themselves and the country that they're in in order to benefit their relationship. 
That's what you ought to be doing as a believer with every friendship and relationship you have, leading them to the place of understanding what God's plan is, how much he loves them, what he wants from their life. But this reality is lost on many believers because we start treating it like a club. But the church is to be the nerve center for the kingdom of God. It's not meant to be that country club where we come and play around and shoot the breeze with our buddies, check out what your new outfit is, and then we go our happy way. It's not meant to be like that. We were meant for more. That's why we try to do what we can in healthy ways to say, hey, come grow with us. We want that to be an aspect. So listen to me. When I talk about it being an embassy, you may think about the the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, as when God really started to develop the church. But I want to challenge your thinking in that. Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, Jesus is having a conversation with a knucklehead named Peter. He gives me hope. Come on, don't look at me like that, judgmental. We don't do that around here. He gives me hope, amen? So listen, he says to Jesus, or Jesus says to him rather, who are people saying that I am? What, what, what's, what's, what's the take on everybody? And then he says to Peter, who do you say that I am? And Jesus in this moment establishes the very first ambassador to the world. Because he says something incredible when, when Peter replies and says, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. Jesus turns around and it's almost like troops landed and he's all of a sudden, we are on the counterattack. We are developing an embassy right here, right now. And he says, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. It's a human. It's a person, not a building. I'm going to build my church on you. And he says this awesome, I'm telling you, magnificent phrase, The gates of hell will not prevail against it. There is nothing that can stop the church. Amen? So he says that in in this moment, and we've got to understand it in this way of being an embassy for us to come and have a headquarters for us to grow in our knowledge and our understanding, but then to go out and actually do something with it. Okay? We've got to see it in that way. So Jesus tells Peter that upon him, that rock, he's going to build the church. So as a king would for an ambassador, Jesus then gives the church the right to speak with his authority. Listen, follow this trail, okay? He says, not only am I going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, but then he says to his disciples, and I give you my stamp of approval, my authority to go and do what you've seen me do. And he even says, you're going to do more than I did, more than I accomplished. You're going to do greater things than you've even seen me do. So he gave them this royal charter of authority and it still is standing today. He commissioned those believers and he commissions us with that charge that we are to be about the father's business until he returns. We're to be working and making disciples according to Matthew 28 until he returns. So the church was never man's idea. It was Jesus's idea. It was God's idea from the beginning of time. He chartered it, he commissioned it, and now we play a role in this unique idea of the only organization in the world that's living, that has actual life in it. 
And Jesus said, you're going to have life and it more abundantly. So Paul says this in Ephesians 3.10. He says that through the church, God's wisdom is going to be made known to the universe. So God is carrying out his purpose of glorifying himself. And he's doing it through the embassy that we call the church. So we've got to stop treating it like a club and think about it in this way. Evaluate your own life in this moment and ask yourself this question. Have I been treating it like a club? where I've got special privileges, where I show up and I get something good and then I leave and then I show back up seven days later, six days later, I come back all over again, whatever it might be. Or are we treating it like, hey, today I got, I plugged in and I got a charge to be able to go out and be the light that he's called us to be, the salt that he's called us to be in this world. Okay, here's number two. There is only one true church. Go with me in your Bibles. We're going to read a passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You can go there right now and we'll start in verse 12. There is only one true church and it is one body. I've been asked by many people before about why are there so many denominations? Why are there so many different Christian churches? Why, why does one believe this way and one believe the other way? Variety is the spice of life, y'all. <laughs> And God knows that. God knows that. But here he says in his word through the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, we are one body. So look at what verse 12 says. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. So when you become a believer, he's saying here, you've been baptized. You've been received into the family. And he says this, this, I'm telling you, no exclusions apply. I get mad when people judge other people based on how they're dressed or whatever they wear or they don't have whatever. Listen, when you come to the house of God, as long as you got something on, God wants to meet you there. Okay, and we'll let you stay here, okay? That's, there's no exclusion. So he gives this exclusion right here, and he says, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Greek. Talking about ethnicity. It, do, it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter if you're a slave or you're a free man. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. There's no exclusion. And all, it says this in verse 13, we're made to drink of one spirit. That is the Holy Spirit, God's spirit. Verse 14 says this, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Let me stop there and tell you something funny. So how many of you have ever used Lever 2000? Lever 2000 soap? Okay. All right. I know that was like, wait, we're talking about church? What are we talking about? Soap. All right. Lever 2000. I found this online. They came up with that idea and they say in all their older commercials, they say for all your 2000 parts. So somebody actually emailed the company and said, I can only come up with like five. Can you help me tell, tell me the other 1,995 parts? And so they replied. It's really funny. You can find it online. They replied and said, we took poetic license in using that because we're not really sure how many parts everyone has. But we say 2,000. So listen to me. When it says here, the body does not consist of one member. It's not just a hand out here by itself, but of many, okay? And we could say 2,000 parts. That's poetic license. Verse 15, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. Notice how I started whining. <clears throat> we got whiners in the church too. Not in this one, in the one you came from. Shoo! All right. That would not make it any less a part of the body. 
Oh, I could have gone somewhere else like the whiners left when you did. What? Verse 16. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If you could see God, but you couldn't hear him. If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, if every one of you were hands, it would be really awkward. This would be a really weird looking body. That's what he says in verse 19 and verse 20. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. This is a picture of the body of Christ. And another term that we use, that we've talked about to describe the church, the body of Christ. Okay, so get this in your, in your heart today. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. No exclusions apply. If you're weak in your faith, show back up. If you're not sure you're completely a believer just yet, show back up. If you're convinced you've got so much sin in your life that God needs to give you a bath before you get the shower or whatever, keep showing back up. Keep coming to him. Verse 23, it says this, And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts, they are treated with greater modesty. Yes, the Apostle Paul is talking about underwear. Verse 24, he says this, Which our more presentable parts do not require, but God has composed the body. He made your body. You might have changed it somewhat, but he, he made your body just the way that you are, and he made the body of Christ that way too. And it says here, giving greater honor to the part that lacks it. Verse 25, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all of them suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And I'm telling you, when I look at this in verse 26, it actually says in the original language, let me say it to you the way that it was meant to be. It says this, if one member suffers, all should suffer together. If one member is honored, then all should rejoice together. Verse 27, now you, he's talking about you in this seat, are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So variety being the spice of life, there is a church for every taste and style. In fact, we talk about it here in our church, that we don't believe that we're the church for everybody but we might be the church for you. And I know the pastors of at least two dozen other churches within a 10 minute drive that I would love to connect you with if you say this ain't your scene. This isn't your gig. This is not the place you wanna be. Then we have helped make sure that we foster relationships with everyone from the biggest to the smallest, from Baptist, Nazarene, everything in between. It doesn't matter. If you say, hey, this is not, you know, I'd love 10 hymns every Sunday. Y'all don't do as many hymns as I want. Then we, we want you to grow because we're an embassy. We're a place of the kingdom of God that says, listen, we won't turn anybody away. We want them to grow. We want them to connect somewhere. So I don't say it flippantly. We want you to grow. And if you need to be somewhere else in order to do that, we want to help you get there because we are the body of Christ and just one, one embassy among thousands, millions here on the earth. Here's number three. The church is the people, not the building. 
If I asked you to, you could probably do the little hand thing from Sunday school from years ago. You're all giggling now, okay? And then the steeple, okay, you open the doors. There's all the people. Okay, the church is actually not the building. Someday, we may sell this building and move somewhere else. When we meet in houses for our small groups, that's the church. doesn't matter what the address is. When we're at a coffee shop, when we're doing the things that the church as people should be doing, we are being the church. So it's not the building, it's the people, all right? Exodus chapter 6, go there with me, and this is the last place in Scripture I'll have you turn today. Acts chapter, or Exodus chapter 6. When we talk about the church being the people, not the building, we've got to understand that's the earlier when we talked about forgiveness. Nothing in this building... Uh, some, there have been things that have hurt me in this building, but nothing about this building has hurt me, okay? It's the people, right, that hurt us in this life, okay? It's the people. So the church is the people, not the building. Listen to what he says in Exodus chapter 6. This is God laying out his plan for Israel. He says, I, I'm going to set you free from Egypt. I've made you a great nation. I'm calling you out. You're literally now becoming the called out ones that I've wanted you to be. Verse 6, he says this. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. He judges those who have captive, who have held captive his people. This is, the Old Testament is as good as the New Testament. It's all the Bible. Verse 7, I will take you to be my people. Another way to say that would be, I have chosen you. To be my people. I love what he says elsewhere in the prophets. He says, I didn't choose you because you were pretty. I didn't choose you because you were great or strong or handsome. I didn't choose you because you were big and you had enough people in your number. I didn't go and I go to the best of these. I went to the least of these and I started with the people of Israel. He's still doing that same thing today with you and I. And he wants us to reach out to the least of these. Verse 7, it says this, I'll take you, I chose you to be my people, and I'll be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who's brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I'll bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession, for I am the Lord. Worship team, would you join me? In our service, we usually do an encore of, uh, of a song at the end where we just take a moment to just enjoy God's presence for this, this moment together, but also more than that, to allow him to speak to our heart and allow us to be able to talk to him. I don't know how comfortable you are. I'm an extrovert, 1,000%. You might not be, but I would encourage you to just, even if you whisper a prayer, to pray out a prayer today to the Lord. It, it might be you're challenged because you've been thinking about it all wrong. Maybe there's guilt, not from your own doing or from the, from the enemy, but maybe it's actually conviction from the Holy Spirit that is, you know what, I've been treating it like a club. Maybe it's time for me to dive in and really invest here at Celebrate Church. Maybe that's what the Lord is speaking to you. It could be something else. It could be about the hurt that you just can't seem to let go of. I believe that in 
his presence, the word says, there's fullness of joy and there's peace forevermore. Can we have that come up a little bit? Thank you. So for each one of us, whatever it is that we respond to the Lord today, I just want to challenge you to just be gut-wrenchingly honest with him. Be real. Maybe, maybe you've never given in to having actual faith with him. Maybe there's an issue of something else that's not even talked about, but it's been weighing on your mind. The Holy Spirit knows that, and he's told me that, so you can deal with it today. Would you stand with me? So the church is not a club. It's an embassy. It's not a building. It's people. And it's we are to be one body. I would even go so far as to say if there's somebody in this room, part of our own church, you've got an issue with that person because of some hurt. Today's the day to get freedom because forgiveness helps us find freedom. It really, truly sets us free. Father, it's only by your grace that I've given your word to these people today. Lord, I pray that for every person in this place that hears this message, I pray that you would deal with what you want to deal with in their heart and in their life. As we sing this song, Father, I pray that hearts would melt before you and that we would share what's really on our heart. And Lord, that we would have faith to believe that you are who you say you are. You're a promise-keeping God who is always looking out for us and trying to heal, help, restore, redeem, repair. So today I pray by your Holy Spirit you would do that even right now in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.